In a world where mental health problems are used as common tropes in various forms of storytelling, therapist Ryan Engelstad and executive producer Mike Graham try to determine what lines up with real life and what is just exaggerated fantasy. Listen as we delve into the fantastical tales told about mental health in books, movies, and television. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad, here as always with my co-host, executive producer, and noted bibliophile, Mike Graham. Oh no. Uh, I'm going to be embarrassed. Do do you not know what a bibliophile is? (laughs) No. It means you're a great lover of books, Mike. Uh, I was going to say, like, did it have something to do with the Bible? No. No, well, I, well, you know, Did I, I own a whole bunch of Bibles. <laughs> Did I do something wrong to a bunch of Bibles? No, no, no. You've not, you've not defaced any Bibles. No, I guess a more accurate term for you would be you know, like a, a bibliophobic a person who has a fear of books. Absolutely. That's right. <laughs> Get those books away. <laughs> sure. Well, which is why we aren't doing the book version of what we're doing today. That's right. Even though there is a book version, uh, as there that's are right. often with many of the things that we cover. Check that segue out. <laughs> well done. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get into that, Mike, you know, we, we try to hit something, you know, uh, top of the news sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. and mental health related. And there was something that I saw in the news today or this week that talked about small pieces of advice. And I, I love these sort of like little nuggets of wisdom. Sometimes I'll pass things like this on to my patients. Not that it's what therapy is about, but things that can offer you a little bit of perspective in times of crisis or times of need. All right, bring it on. So I wanted to offer you one just to kind of get your thoughts on it. Okay. And that so this came from the New York Times, and they did these little sort of little nuggets of wisdom. And okay. the article is called The Best Advice You've Ever Received and Are Willing to Pass On. Oh, before you say that, yeah. I have to say that um, I just hate the word nuggets, but continue. Okay, uh, that was my <laughs> word that they don't actually use okay. that word in the article. <laughs> Nuggets. Um, it's a bad word. No, I get it. That's that's fine. Uh, what what would you use instead? Tidbit. Tidbits of advice. Wonderful. There you go. Okay, so uh, one person shared their uh, ten life skills your kids will need. So, being that you and I are are fathers, parents, I thought I would run these ten life skills by you and see what you would remove or add to this list. All right. So uh, this person says. A list of 10 things children should know how to do to be self-sufficient. Say please and thank you. Shake hands. Mm. Swim. Ride a bike. Do laundry. Cook. Bank. Type. Drive. And clean their rooms. So what is your immediate reaction to those that list of 10? I immediately thought this is in the New York Times. It sure is. This is the 10 things... Well, okay. it's just there's one just of lot. many pieces of advice. Yeah. Right, right. But th- there's a lot of things that people need or kids need to do to, uh, you know, grow into full people, I guess. But I don't know. I don't think those would be the 10 I wrote down as like the nuggets that you need to go forward with. Oh, what would you add? To the, um, teach them about love. Ah. Uh, teach them about uh, 
This is from, we were just on Anxiety Show last night. Mm -hmm. And that's a mental health show, live streaming show. And we talked about a thing called the Moana moment. And which is is like an epiphany moment and how it's hard to know when that actually happens. Um, But ultimately what I'm getting to there is teaching people how to uh, take negative feedback uh, or falling down and getting back up. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. I mean, I, so from a literal standpoint, I, I get where she's coming from this, this person, um, you know, it's good to have these tasks under your belt to know how to like take care of yourself in a very literal sense. Things right. like banking and cooking and doing laundry are great. Yes. You know, but swimming like, well, right, exactly. Is swimming in your top 10? Probably not for me. Swimming is how, great. How to be empathetic. Sure. I love that. Uh, yeah. So many things to teach them that are, very, you know, yeah. Yeah. Ride a bike. I mean, if you live in a super hilly area, not always realistic as a skill to learn. Right. Yeah. Or you might not enjoy it. Or you might not enjoy it. And do you need to know how to ride a bike to be self-sufficient? I would argue not. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, here's one. Here's a real deep one. That's really important is how to um, make the best life uh, while understanding that it's finite. 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 Yeah. Finite. Finite. Yeah, sure. I like that. And and this will be my nice segue. And that's how to have like a healthy conflict resolution, how to how to argue, basically how to solve problems with someone that you care about, because I think a lot of times and this I find this in therapy and this will be our segue that either because of (laughs) the absence of of parents or ways and experiences you had as a child, people can have very negative or unhealthy views of how people are supposed to solve problems within an yeah. intimate relationship. Yep. So I think that would be one that I would add to that. Maybe instead of like shaking hands, I don't know how important that is. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I'm going to say for my segue is uh, you know how bad we are at segues because uh, sometimes we actually say this is our segue. So as my segue, uh, if you want to have discussions like these or talk about your feelings or just have fun, share memes, talk about mental health, we have a really awesome support and discussion group for mental health. And you would go to Facebook and search Pop Psych 101 Mental Health Chat. And we would really love anyone that wants to do that to join us. So at that, let's get into the episode. Let's do it. Well, hello there. Who are you? Based on your vibe, student. Your blouse is loose. You're not here to be ogled, but those bracelets, they jangle. You like a little attention. Okay, I bite. You search the books, uh, fiction, F through K. Now, you're not the standard insecure nymph hunting for Faulkner you'll never finish. Too sun-kissed for Stephen King. Who will you buy? Sorry. You sound apologetic, like you're embarrassed to be a good girl, and you murmur your first word to me. Hello. Do you work here? Guilty. Can I help you find something? Paula Fox? Today, we are covering the 2018 Netflix series, You. Based on the best-selling novel of the same name, You is a 21st century love story that asks, what would you do for love? When a bookstore manager crosses paths with an inspiring writer, his answer becomes clear, anything. 
using the internet and social media as his tools to gather the most intimate of details and get close to her, a charming and awkward crush quickly becomes obsession as he quietly and strategically removes every obstacle and person in his way. Yeah, so Mike, we are going to get into, in a deep sense, why people are so, in a lot of ways, obsessed with this show. And it was recommended to us by, at least from my perspective, like several different people. No, absolutely. Yeah. And for like the last two months. Um, So yeah, so spoiler alerts ahead. And, you know, we we should also note that there will be some discussion of like intense relationship uh, mistreatment or abuse and and murder, as I just sort of glossed over. So <laughs> if that if those are topics that are um, distressing, murder. you know, I, Mike and I talked about we're going to try to keep this light today because this is yeah. a ridiculous show. Yeah, <laughs> but but there's will... a lot of there's a lot of good questions that this kind of show brings up. Yeah, but we are going to sure. be talking about some very serious things um, because some serious stuff happens, and and these serious things do happen in real life, even if it's not quite in the way. Um, they happen on this show. That's right. And and I think a good place to start is with uh, the character Joe. Yes. Um, on the pilot episode, he g- gets us a really good idea of who the character in the show is and then also who the character like we are enjoying is and why. So you do, you meet uh, Joe Goldberg and he is the manager of a bookstore, but, but he's also uh, very interested in books um, like restoring books and keeping them safe and, and for like long-term rare books, that kind of thing. But, you know, that's just kind of like, you know, he's a day-to-day kind of guy, except for the fact that um, in his head, he's he's kind of narrating the story in his head. He sees a girl that comes in and shops at his bookstore. Her name is Guinevere Beck, uh, who they end up calling Beck. She goes by Beck. Right, right. And he's very attracted to her. And he's narrating along the way. And he, I think, pretty much immediately starts following her around and uh, following her to restaurants. And almost in his head right away, this Joe guy thinks he has a relationship with someone he's never met to the point of of, uh, kind of putting himself in the position of being around her at opportune times, right? Yeah, starts to infiltrate her circles. Yeah. Yeah. And so you get you get the immediate sense that Joe is stalking her right mm-hmm. he's doing a lot of really and they get and more intense as the season goes on some of these ways that he goes to find out information about her but he does use a lot of social media for one so that that kind of gets me right to the area of in this day and age uh, of social media and easily shareable information is easily kind of findable information yeah that's right um but also thinking about joe and who joe is what is it about like a Joe character that we enjoy? Why are we like watching? Why is this something that they're putting out um, in a protagonistic way? Yeah. So why, so why are we so interested in a character like this who, as I mentioned before, does murder several people throughout this first season, right? Yeah. So I think part of it is because he is the protagonist and we often get the perspective uh, of his internal monologue of how his logic works that over the course of the the season you do kind of start to empathize or feel like you understand his logic even if you obviously which i would think most people would disagree with the actions that he takes it's like okay i kind of get it he's just 
he's just really into this girl and he's trying to protect her from people who would do her harm or people who are, you know, who have bad intentions for her, you know, kind of glossing over the fact that he did stalk her and he did um, Mm -hmm. over the course of the show, you know, do some other really terrible things, not just to her, but to other people. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, you're like, I understand. Oh, I get it. Yeah. So I think it's this sort of like morbid fascination that people kind of wonder if people like Joe exist in the real world, Mm -hmm. but also obviously never want to interact with him necessarily. Although I do remember when this show first came out and was like, you know, in the sort of popular culture dialogue that people were like really attracted to Joe, that there was this whole thing about like, you know, not just like literally he's physically attractive, but it was just like, oh man, like I wish my significant other was into me that much or whatever. No, you don't. And the actor actually (laughs) came out and had to like correct that. Like, no, this character is not a redeemable, admirable person. This character is horrible. Yeah, please don't glamorize him. And and that's how I was feeling as well, that that sure he's into novels and he's well educated and 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 at at times is very loving and is able to seem like a normal boyfriend and things like that. But, you know, the the extremes to which he handles problems is obviously way, way, way beyond normal and healthy. So we have a lot of concerns for that. But, I, you know. Mike, if if I if you can indulge me, taking it one step further in terms of how we've gotten here. Yes, I indulge. Okay, so I'm sure I'm not the only person who's made this connection, but this felt a lot like uh, Dexter uh, to me, yes. which is a show that I love for similar reasons, probably. Um, oh, I didn't. Well, yeah, I was just gonna say, like when you were talking about that, that the the feeling of watching the show just reminds me of like people's general interest in in serial killers, mm-hmm. and 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 so Dex, Dexter, yes, a serial killer, but even like real life ones, yeah, so for like, sure, it extends to fiction as well, mm-hmm. and and even goes beyond that. The sort of like now Dexter, I think on some level was like an anti hero that he you always had this feeling that he was like doing the right thing, even if he was murdering people. Yeah, I never felt like. Uh, Joe was doing the right thing. <laughs> yeah, at, at, they almost they almost tried to do that in the first yeah, episode. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah, um, but I never felt that way, and that, that's so. I think we've we've gotten closer and closer to this like anti-hero as interesting guy, as cool guy, or as cool person. Obviously, there have been anti-hero women as well now, but if we think about it, you go back to for me, this goes all the way back to like Norman Bates in Psycho. It's like, yeah. oh, what a nice, what a nice young man. And then meanwhile, you don't know all the terrible things that he does, but it's, it's gotten more intense in recent, um, in recent decades. You know, you had the Sopranos, you have Breaking Bad, yeah. where it's like these really bad people are, are, you know, madmen, uh, Dexter who, who do terrible things right. are being, are being portrayed as empathetic figures. Yeah. It's, it's hard for me because it's like, I loved Breaking Bad. But <laughs> oh my god, yeah, and Mad Men, man. I actually on my yeah. Facebook, there's a picture you can't find it because my profile my profile is private. But <laughs> right. I am dressed as a madman because I was obsessed. Yeah, and like bought like a coat and hat. <laughs> oh yeah, we we did the Mad Men for Halloween one year for sure. This wasn't Halloween. Oh uh, well, yeah, I'm sure you just did it on a random <laughs> Sunday. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think there is this like to me unhealthy fascination with people who do bad things and and trying to empathize with them. I'm all for empathizing with people, but I think we we've taken it to a level where it's like we want to make people and characters so dark 
and as, almost to, as to make it acceptable. Well, the question that, that comes there is like, where does it begin then? Does it begin sure. with the, the fascination from the viewer's perspective? Uh, does, it, does it begin with um, people who write this stuff? Well, obviously they're going to be fascinated. Mm-hmm. To, I guess they would be to write it. But I don't know, like, where does, how does the circle, like, where does it start? Yeah. So for me, it kind of starts with, I guess, the writers, right? But it's like, because people who create media and now we're like super meta, but like people who create shows and TV are trying to get attention at at the base level. It's, I want to create something that a lot of people are going to be interested in. Right. And when you have as many media options as we do now, as many TV shows and movies as we have access to. You have to raise the stakes as much as you can sometimes to get attention. Yeah. So that's, I think, how we end up with characters like Tony Soprano and Walter White and Dexter and now Joe. And it's like, we can't just have a normal romantic comedy series. We have to have like a thriller and the guy that's sort of a romantic comedy. It's also like a postmodern horror yeah. thing and he kills people like, but sometimes we he's have a good to get guy. The, yeah, yeah we have to get the biggest amount of viewers possible by yeah. making it the most like uh tangible thing that or whatever that you can take in yeah and it's like everything sort of is a soap opera where it has to be as interesting as possible all the time so that's how we get here in a lot of ways and that's why i'm concerned from like the mental health perspective of like why are these types of characters coming up again and again and again and again and again yeah it it, it kind of feels like there has to be at some point somebody somewhere was writing this kind of stuff because, yeah, they were just fascinated. Like, and that sure. was the entire motivation. Uh, but as time, we'll even think about like early 80s horror f- movies. Sure. Um, before they got more and more and more, like some of those people just loved horror. And so they made that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's interesting thinking about thinking about you as like a modern social media horror series yeah. is like a fun, different way to look at this because it's like, oh, if this is just a horror movie about, you know, relationships in the modern age, then we can kind of take this like step back. It's just like, oh, Joe's just like the scream killer or Joe's yeah, just yeah. like He's Freddy Krueger, but like for 2019. Yeah, it's, it's just like, updated. Yeah. And I think that is really interesting to me because I do think that to, to get back to your point and get back to this show that social media does way more harm than good to relationships um, ah. in the modern age. Yeah. Um, and we see this in this series again and again that both Joe and Beck can't help themselves but to use right. social media to cyber stalk or to to do research on people or to find information about people's exes and other things that it's it's really unhealthy and it's why you know facebook is cited and i think 50 percent or 75 percent of divorce cases now really that there's just always something and well you know joe doesn't even he actually doesn't social media at the beginning of the series right because well he is who he is and he knows what people can do with that yeah, information. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um but but yeah, like you were saying that like it's it's a harmful thing for relationships and I guess I mean it's simply to ask like why? Like at a base level, why is it so harmful to a relationship whether or not uh it's a long-term relationship or you've just broken up or any of these things like why why is that amount of information harmful to each other, I guess? So, yeah, it's interesting. And it actually reminds me we're all over the popular media 
landscape today, but it reminds me of really good How I Met Your Mother episode <laughs> that was it was like history versus mystery, which was when you and I even were growing up, you know, there was barely Facebook and there was definitely no Tinder or anything yeah, like this. Yeah. So if you went on a first date with somebody, the information that you were finding out was from questions and conversation you would have with yeah, them. Yeah, it's true. You couldn't, you couldn't research them. Um, or if you tried to, you wouldn't find anything. And now, you know, if you have a, a Tinder first date, I think I would say it would be reasonable to expect that people would do a Facebook search or people would do a Twitter search for yeah, that for person safety. just to be like, you know, I just need to check to make sure this person's okay. And while that's a reasonable step to take in today's day and age, you also don't get that sort of uh, that natural, gradual intimacy growth that I think is important mm. in relationships sometimes. Okay, so it's it, you're saying like taking from the show, like it's it's not just dangerous, like in a physical sense. It's actually taking something away from the connection you make with um, uh, somebody you love. Yeah, I think so. And then it also adds all of these unnecessary uh, levels and questions to a relationship that wouldn't exist if social media didn't exist. Perfect example being like, I'm just I'll make somebody up. Uh, so let, let's use Joe. Uh, if Joe's in a relationship with Beck and he posts uh, a picture of himself or a book and it's like a random girl that Beck doesn't know likes the picture, someone like Beck might be like, um, who's that girl that liked your Facebook picture? And these things did not happen before Facebook existed. Right. You know, you would have like a private family photo album or you would have, you know, whatever. Yeah. The, the, these problems would not exist. You know, it's the equivalent of, you know, again, when you and I were dating, when you were, if you were at a bar with your, your date and somebody, a girl across the bar was looking at you and bought you a drink with a girl right next to you, like that would be a huge problem. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> and you accepted like, oh, yeah, thank you. Would you exactly. like to sit down? But but now all these micro examples of that pictures being liked, pictures being shared, DMs and tweets and, and all these things, yeah. they take on this meaning that is is all made up. It kind of feels like it's so easy to do because you're dissecting it all in your brain. Like yeah. you're giving it. We're giving value to the like of a Facebook picture. Yeah. And in reality, it, it needs and, and and look, I get it. If a girl you've never heard of likes your boyfriend's or your husband's Facebook picture, you might have questions about that. But and this is where we're going to get into, like, how they do not solve problems in a healthy way on this show. You know, you need to be able to have a healthy conversation with that person, with your significant other, if you're actually concerned or upset about that. Yeah. Uh, I, I definitely wanted to talk today um, about Joe's actions and, and what he what he is, mm -hmm. because I do think a lot of the people that asked us to do this show are, are wanting to hear a little bit about the motivations sure. behind uh, someone that would stalk somebody else. So, in you know, in the series, I mean, it's just it's just left and right with Joe. I mean, there's no there's no two ways about it. You can go to any episode and there's an example of him appearing into somebody's life uninvited. That might be stealing a cell phone, um, but a lot of it's on social media, uh, following all these different things that he does, but there's an obsession to it, right? Yep. Whether it be an obsession for someone he's attracted to or infatuated with, or to somebody that he feels is competing against that. So he's, he's going both ways. He'll, he'll stalk somebody that he hates or somebody that he loves, and it's all to his advantage. And of course, like we said, Joe is, you know, this plucky old Joe, and he's giving you good reasons for why he's doing all this in narration. 
But in real life, you know, it's Joe is not this super, super good, by the way, super good looking guy. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> Pen, Pen Bagley or Badgley. Yeah. 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 This Joe is not the, the real version of this stuff happening. So I was just wondering if you've ever had experience or or had any like reason why like people have these kind of motivations to act this way. So, yeah, so later on in the season, we find out some of the stuff about Joe's past, you know, that he was in in some ways abandoned and mistreated by his parents and then fell in with this sort of mentor guy who helped him during his teenage years. And I say helped him, but actually, you know, really abused him and sort of twisted him into who he became. So, you know, the question, how did Joe become this way? People won't be surprised to hear me, a therapist, say, he had some messed up stuff happen to him as a child. His concept of how you win the attention of someone, of how you quote unquote win the love of someone, are are is super twisted. Right. And yes, he's a, a a narcissist in some ways that he sees himself as this like knight in shining armor. No matter what he does, no matter what terrible things that he does, mm-hmm. he always sees himself as this like I'm I'm doing it for love. So it's and okay. He's a protector. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is is really dangerous, and and you know the uh, one of the words that gets thrown around in the reviews of you is like toxic masculinity. Is people who feel entitled to love because they want it, or because they they see something that they want and they feel that they should be able to get it no matter the obstacle. Hmm. So, and, and that's definitely something you can see in Joe that even when Beck uh, breaks up with him, when he is like very obviously stalking her. You know, I think there was one point when he accuses her of sleeping with her therapist, Uncle Jesse. (laughs) I'm just going to call him Uncle Jesse. I know he, his name is like Dr. Nick in the show, but he's Uncle Jesse. So she breaks up with him because of this sort of like mistrust of like, you accused me of this, you know, I walked out and then you basically stalked me to see who I was meeting up with. So she breaks it off. Come to find out she did actually sleep with uh, Uncle Jesse, Dr. Nick. Right. So his accusations were were accurate. So basically the point that Joe feels justified, not just in his accusations, but in his perspective, in basically the way that he sees things is the right way, no matter what. So even if he gets evidence to the contrary, like when Beck breaks up with him, he's minimally deterred by that. He very quickly falls into a new relationship. But then when Beck starts coming back around, he's like, yep, she came back to me just like I knew she would. And it's it's right back into that those old, unhealthy, abusive style behaviors. So, you know, this is a guy who, because he feels entitled to a person, to a person's love, uh, basically stops at nothing to to achieve that. So it's scary and it's creepy. Yeah, Um, scary. You know, I sort of hinted at some of the things that he experienced as a kid. You know, we sort of see this uh, this place and it's like a basement space where Joe does like his antique book repairing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah. also like a torture room, essentially, it becomes yeah. like our safe room. Right. Yeah. So and this this room initially was a place that Joe was kept in by this mentor guy who like uh, taught him how to survive Rip- in a crazy world, I guess, is sort of the way yeah. it's portrayed. And how to repair books. Yeah, I guess. it's but So it's... <laughs> Very important. Super twisted, yeah. That's on that top 10 list, repairing books. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Good life skill, yes. But yeah, so as much as 
I, as a therapist, wanted to empathize with Joe. That's the sort of as of the level I was able to get to, which was when things happen to kids and teenagers, especially from this like abandonment, mistreatment, abuse, warped sense of how relationships are supposed to work, they enter into relationships with this warped sense of how things are supposed to work and, and what they can do to make them work. And then they're, they're undeterred by consequences. And that's wow. a really dangerous place to be. One of my big thoughts when I was watching it was this guy's got to be a sociopath or a psychopath. You know, the way you were just saying things like they could be, but they don't necessarily have to be to, to kind of have these behaviors. Yeah. Because uh, as much as, we don't see much of Joe's childhood, but we see enough of it to get the sense that he was not born this way. So I would be unlikely to to put him in that category of like psychopath or, or sociopath. You know, in the episode on serial killers, we talked about this stuff um, in the sense of some personality disorders. And he he probably would fit narcissistic personality disorder. And, and this is the case in which it was sort of uh made not born so because of abuse because of mistreatment because of you know there's even an aspect of like from what we see in joe's relationship with this mentor guy it's almost this like stockholm syndrome experience where he was locked in this glass case room until he saw things the way the guy who kept him there saw the world so it's like okay you are essentially torturing me and kidnapping me and, and weirdly doing these things, but I'm letting go of that. And I'm just being like, okay, yep. I, I, I get why you're doing it. You're, you're treating me this way and I understand it. So now I'm going to see the world the same way that you do. So this, there is this aspect of Stockholm syndrome. And what we know about that is that they can, that can really change your personality. It can change oh, wow. the type of person that you are because you, you have to change yourself to empathize with someone who's mistreating you so, so poorly. I feel like if somebody, like if somebody turned another person into a, like a murderer or something in that way, then, and then the second person murdered someone, the first person should be able to like also be charged. Oh yeah. 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 Along yeah. with yeah. that, you know what I mean? Yeah. As an accessory to the crime. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So as far as Joe's behaviors and, and, you know, looking up all the things and finding things and being totally deceptive and untruthful and everything for people out there that aren't this way and are meeting people and out on the dating scene, which I am so happy to be out of. <laughs> is there any way to see like signs, warning signs or spot this like type of person so that you don't uh, wind up in these situations? Not that it would be your fault at all. But is there a way to, like, protect yourself? <laughs> so you don't wind up finding a murder box in the ceiling of the bathroom? Yes, we don't no. want that. <laughs> so if in a relationship you feel that you are in any way, shape, or form being controlled, being monitored to an extent that you are uncomfortable with, being emotionally, uh, physically, or financially manipulated, these are all serious warning signs to watch out for. And that, frankly, if your emotional needs, you know, because it's, it's interesting. So in, in some of these episodes, Joe is portrayed as this like really cool boyfriend that does these yeah. really nice things for for Beck and for other girls he's shown with throughout the series, uh, the, the season. And oh, isn't that so nice that he did right. that? And oh, a couple yeah, of great. our friends really like Joe. Yeah. Yeah. Peach does not. Right. Well, yeah, for good reason. 
But yeah, so being able to put aside these sort of nice things, because one thing we know about abusers and emotional manipulators is that they are capable of showing a good side. That after an abusive act, they're very likely to do nice things for you, to buy you things, to uh, take you out, to uh, to attempt to meet your needs. Yeah. Which is probably like one of their strongest weapons. No question. No question. So, and then Joe does that for sure in a very manipulative way. And that's why it's important to watch out for things like accusations, you know, requests like, you know, if you say you were out to dinner with work friends, that that should just be accepted on the face of it. And that if if it turns into accusations of cheating mm-hmm. with no basis uh, for for that being, in other words, if you have provided no evidence or reason uh, for your significant other to to think that you'd be someone that, do, that would do that thing, that's a warning sign. It means that person yeah. maybe has been cheated on and has a hard time trusting people, which is a, a legitimate issue that you could confront in a relationship. But also, or it could also mean that they're very controlling or that they're cyber stalking you or doing things yeah. that they are suspicious of you for little to no reason other than their own narcissism or other issues that they might be experiencing. Yeah. And it's really hard to probably spot some of the more extreme things like we see with Joe because he's doing them really like covertly. Yeah, for sure. But like you were just talking about, like going out to a restaurant, like if your significant other, like when you go out and your significant other asks you like where you're going to be and like what time you're going to be there and who you're going to be there with. And this is like a thing you have to report when you're doing anything. That's probably a big warning sign um, that there's other things going on that you don't even know about. Yeah. So it is. And I guess to deal with like a real relationship scenario, right? Because this does happen in relationships and that's cheating. And this is a theme that's hit pretty consistently in this show. And I think it's probably the, the, the most real aspect of this show in terms of the damage that cheating does on a relationship and the way that people can react to it in healthy and unhealthy ways. Because if you are cheated on, you will naturally have a lot of difficulty trusting your significant other, assuming you're staying in the relationship with them. But if you want to stay in the relationship, you kind of have to make a decision that am I deciding to trust the person again or is the only way I'm willing to trust them by controlling them and by, you know, expecting this uh, extreme version of of them to commit to me? So in other words, you know, I'm only going to let you back in this relationship if you text me every 10 minutes to tell me where you are. Yeah, it's like, OK, well, then maybe you shouldn't be in this relationship still. Now, as a therapist, I I don't necessarily tell people that, but this is more for like people's own self-awareness. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because, I, you know, for me, if I'm working with someone and they are struggling with this sort of decision, you know, should I stay in this relationship or not? I always try to emphasize their autonomy, whatever they want to do, if they love their significant other, even if they've done things that they're unhappy with, you know, okay, how can we make this relationship work? How can we make you happy in this relationship? So I don't tell people, you know, I think you should really break up with this guy or I think you should really break up with this girl. But if they are hinting at those things, or if they're hinting at their unhappiness, then we have to have a conversation around if you're unhappy, what does that mean? And and is it possible for you to accept this within this relationship or work through this within this relationship? So it's it's a tough. All right. All right. So uh, I, I wanted to talk about Beck and because we've been talking a lot about Joe. 
Yeah. And we kind of know that he, you know, he's a creepy stalker, right? Yep. But there's someone on the other end of that relationship, and that's that's Guinevere Beck. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she is a a struggling writer, um, trying to get herself out there basically any way she can. And uh, but she's also a a modern woman of today's age. You know, this is a 2018 thing happening um, who's on social media and doing the things that she wants when she wants what she should be doing. Right. Especially towards the, like the beginning of the series. Joe got upset about the fact that she was sleeping with men um, and they, they weren't together at this point. He was just stalking her. Yep. And she's just doing, you know, living her life. Mm hmm. But one thing I was wondering was, you know, she does do the social media thing a lot. And there there are her own version of doing like social media, like stalking, right? She does. And I was wondering, like, to you, what what is the difference between, and obviously there is one, but what is the difference between the level of like the everyday social media kind of stalking that I think a lot of people do um, versus... Uh, where Joe's at. Yeah, so the specific uh, scenario that Beck is social media stalking Joe, in this case, was, I would argue, fairly legitimate. I mean, it, she goes to extreme lengths, but she's she's looking into Joe's ex, Candace. Beck is aware that this relationship ended poorly, and at this point in, in the, the show, Beck and Joe are back together after having broken up, and Joe's having, like, weird screaming dreams and is yelling out Candace's name. So she's like, what's the deal here? Like, this is kind of kind of weird, kind of creepy. And he's very uh, evasive um, when Beck tries to bring it up. So she starts doing her research. I think in part because she's worried what the sort of implications of the end of this relationship were. You know, Joe's ex warns Beck about Joe in this context of like, he could do this to you, not knowing what this is. So she does this social media background check of Joe and Candace, Joe's ex. Yeah. And she starts to find out that Candace disappeared. Uh, Joe claims that she went off to Italy and that the person that Candace is supposed to have cheated on Joe with essentially was murdered by being pushed off a, a high uh, <laughs> roof in New York City, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I don't mean so, to laugh. No, I know. Well, this is like the soap opera-y stuff of it. But like, so Beck has, I would say, legitimate reasons for being concerned about who she's dating. And as a result, is doing some some sleuthing to try to figure out how should she really be concerned about this? Or is this just like you know, Joe's story is accurate and she just needs to relax. Sure, sure. So I guess that's the difference for me is that if you are actually afraid of your significant other and you feel like you have the resources to determine how afraid you should be, I guess it's a little bit more acceptable. But to get back to what we've been talking about, like there needs there needs to be appropriate conflict resolution within relationships. And we see hardly any of that in this right. relationship. Which is why it ends up where it ends up. For sure. Well, no, 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 no. It ends up where it ends up because of Joe. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if we're like dissecting it, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the more realistic aspects of this relationship's conflict happens because these characters like don't know 
how to confront one another in a way that doesn't become explosive and in yeah. a way that doesn't become like a secretive defensive thing. Well, I'm just going to get this backup phone and and see what you're doing in secret, or I'm just going to stalk your social media and see what you're doing in secret. Or I'm just going to talk to your friends behind your back and see what you're going to do in secret. Like none of these things are healthy, obviously. So we need some healthy conflict resolution skills. We need some he- healthy, you know, independent skills. So Mike, I thought this would be a good opportunity for us to do like an ongoing segment, which I will call skill of the week. Skill of the week. Well, before you jump, skill of the week, new segment. All right. Uh, but before you jump into it, I do want to say that uh, just because we referenced the ending that yet uh, Joe kills Beck. So just in case anyone got oh, mad that and, we didn't and, get all the way uh, through. Spoiler alert. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, yes, uh, yes, yes, he does. Yes. So skills to create good relationships or to confront relationships in which your needs are not being met, as is often the case in this show. I'm excited. Okay. So um, in one of these uh, therapeutic approaches that I practice is what's called dialectic behavioral therapy or DBT. It focuses on a lot of different areas, um, but one of those areas is interpersonal effectiveness skills, which is essentially a way to get what you want within a relationship and also give or, or, or treat your significant other in a way that creates balance, that creates okay. um, middle road, each partner getting what they need without creating guilt or shame or secrecy, as is often the case in this show. Okay. So there are a couple of interpersonal effectiveness skills, but I'm going to focus on just one of them today, and that's the acronym GIVE, G-I-V-E. Mm. And it stands for a couple of things, um, as you will not be surprised. So But the goal with the give skill is how to get or keep a good relationship. Okay. So G stands for gentle, which is a way of referencing the importance of being courteous and temperate in your approach. Okay. That means means no attacking, no blaming, no threatening, and Mm -hmm. no judging. Right. So it's important to own your own feelings within these conflicts. So instead of making accusations of you're sleeping with your therapist, aren't you? Um, (laughs) um, Being able to come from the standpoint of I'm feeling insecure or I'm feeling suspicious or I'm feeling worried or I'm feeling anxious. And by introducing that emotion within the relationship, giving your partner the opportunity to attend to or address those feelings in a neutral, safe, gentle, calm way. Yeah, but it's got to come from both directions. 100%. So yes, this is for both partners, ideally, you know, if you're if your partner, if you use these skills, and your partner is not, that is going to be a warning sign. So I is stands for interested. Um, So we have gentle, we have interested, interested, referring to the ability and importance of listening and being interested in the other person, Mm. that it's not just about your needs. Yeah, but that you can have an appropriate interest and attention to your partner's needs. Yeah. So that's interested. Then we have V, which stands for validate, which, uh, you know, pretty straightforward. Your ability to validate the other person's feelings, wants, difficulties, and opinions about whatever situation might be coming up. So we might have, I think we've talked about validation and the importance and benefits of it on the show before. But in a relationship, you know, especially in conflict resolution, you know, if your partner is mad at you, your ability to validate the legitimacy of them being mad such an important skill. Right. Oh, wow. Because if you can help your partner understand that you 
not only see that they're mad, but understand why they're mad and, and accept that they're mad, that immediately brings the tension level down to being like, okay, we're not talking about the fact that I'm mad anymore. We're just talking about the issue, the issue, which yeah. is what you want, which is what you want. And then finally, E of give stands for easy manner. So things like using humor, smiling, being diplomatic, and the sort of soft sell over the hard sell idea. You know, we have a lot of aggressive confrontation in this show. There's pushing and throwing things and and obviously kidnapping. <laughs> um, <laughs> and murder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... I think it would benefit these characters to be able to bring a little bit of an easy manner, frankly, even to these serious issues that that's going to help you kind of cut through the tension and be able to address the real issue. So that's give. And maybe we'll, we'll get into more interpersonal effectiveness skills, you know, in time. But that's one that I want to share, particularly to people like Beck, who might benefit from some ability to sort of advocate for their needs while also being able to validate the needs of their partner in a safe, comfortable way. Yeah. I kind of feel um, bad for like a couple that this kind of stuff wouldn't, I don't want to sound bad, but come naturally to. No, it doesn't come naturally to people. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, that's why it, it, this stuff. I mean, when I tell it to people, it's just like, yeah, I mean, that seems pretty obvious, but yeah, but it's a, yeah, it's a right. skill because people don't learn it. People don't uh, aren't taught it, aren't shown it as kids. You know, yeah. I can't tell you how many people I've 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 worked with who have said things like, "I never saw my parents fight," or, or "I've never even heard of them fighting." And this is not to say the parents should fight, but the parents should be able to model for their children how to healthily resolve conflict. Yeah, yeah. My parents used to go out of the room. Yeah, and, and that's not to say that you should be having blowout arguments in front of your kids, but that you can say, like, look, mom and I can disagree, and we can validate each other being upset or angry yeah. in a calm, easy manner, and we can talk about the issues in a way that allows us to resolve them successfully. Yeah, you know, this is, like, give is exactly why people say uh, that are married, you know, marriage is not infatuation and love and lust and all these things. Marriage is work. That's right. Right? It's yep. about learning, it, like, when you said those four things, it does, yeah, those are things I've learned in my marriage, unfortunately, through stumbling and doing the wrong sure. or, or the opposite of what that's trying to teach us. Yep. But it, but in the end, like, if you want to grow and have a healthy relationship, those things are, are a necessity. Yes, absolutely. Right? Uh, for conflict resolution, being able to, uh, like you were saying, temper yourself, mm -hmm. like, that's, that's huge, like, to... Um, stop in the moment and whatever, whatever feeling that you're having, that's like negative or um, spiteful or any of those things. And just stopping for one second and realizing that, okay, let's take this down a notch. Mm -hmm. Let's pause. Let's, uh, and then use those other skills. You know, um, I did not like the E skill though. <laughs> that would be very hard for me. The sort of easy manner stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like if yeah. I was in conflict, it, it'd be hard to like uh, crack a smile. I didn't mean or make a joke. So I guess it's it's not to 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 like inappropriately uh you know we're not like making fun of the fact that our partner's mad basically. Right, right, right. Um I should say it's you know the easy manner is really about grounding yourself in the fact that you do love the person you're arguing with. Right. Like it's like a tension breaker. 
Well, not even because it doesn't, you don't have to ignore the fact that there's tension. It can be okay that there's tension. Tension okay. can be a thing that it offers an opportunity uh, for growth. But, but to be able to ground yourself in, even though we're mad right now, we are mad because we care. And it's, this is built on the fact that I'm, I'm upset because, you know, I, I trusted you or because I love you and I expected one thing and this is the other thing that happened. Yeah. But when you can ground yourself in the love of the, the sort of that, that basis for the relationship, it allows you to have an easy manner, um, a, a diplomatic manner, I think, frankly, is probably the most important word amongst the sort of easy manner. It's not about being like inauthentically funny or, or smiling even when yeah. you're not happy, but being able to be diplomatic in which a sense like your partner will get an opportunity to express their perspective and yeah. feelings just the way you will. Yeah. It, I think that um, whether you learn this skill or these skills in like therapy or on this show or whether you just, you know, come by them naturally through the hard work of being in a long-term relationship, if you do and you're able to utilize these skills all those like little arguments sort of start falling away because they don't need to be had anymore. And mm -hmm. then if you do argue or have a conflict, it, it's usually over probably something much more important um, and serious. Whereas I feel like if, if this is a, this is just me spitballing here. Yeah. 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 I feel like if you don't have, um, if you didn't learn this with your partner, then all those little things, it, they all become mountains, you know? Yes. So every, you know, the dishes and all this stuff that we shouldn't be arguing about, you know, that we can't help sometimes. But yeah. like if, if you don't, if you don't take a step back, then you're, yeah, you're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. And just like this relationship was in trouble in a lot of ways from the start and then ended. Spoiler alert. We didn't spoiler alert, but <laughs> Beck discovers uh, just to sort of tie up this this season. Beck discovers the truth of who Joe is, that he is a person that has stalked and killed people from his perspective, all in, in because he loves Beck. But obviously, he's a little bit of a psychopath in that sense. You know, it, it just it, it sort of ends there. It's just, yeah, Joe doesn't receive any consequences, which is another huge problem. Obviously, I have as a therapist who's no, like people, total... people watching this like, oh, the guy is just getting away with it. Yeah, it's a total <laughs> like uh, protagonistic like, yeah, evil person victory. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And it's like, it's not fun. Like it was fun when Walter White wasn't caught, but this, I'm just like, oh man, like what, what <sighs> he's just going to keep doing this bad stuff. Yeah. But like Walter White, you're like, like when you watch that show, you're like, he doesn't, he doesn't exist. You know, like that's just so over the top to me. But then I'm like, like this guy's out there, you know? Yeah, maybe, that's fair. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not that. I don't know. Um, okay, we have to do our ratings. Yes. All right, all right. It's time for ratings. If you have not listened to the show before, every week Ryan and I rate what we're covering on a scale of one to five. Ryan rates one to five for accuracy of the portrayal, and I rate one to five on the critic scale. Ryan, what do you got? So, Mike, uh, this uh, schlocky postmodern horror story. <laughs> um, There's a cool little thing to think about, right? The yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, obviously, I had a lot of problems with, and I had a hard time finding stuff within this show that I felt was based in any coherent reality. <laughs> so, out of five Withering Heights, which is like one of the books that Joe uses to manipulate ah. uh, people, I gave it like a one point five. 
That's pretty, I think that's, that's accurate. Because they're so like stalking, especially social media stalking does happen. People do run into relationships with people who are narcissists and just feel justified in their behavior, no matter how horrific that behavior is. And people can become twisted as a result of childhood mistreatment or behavior or, or, or interaction. So a certain amount of this is within the realm of possibility, but I don't, I don't want anything from like the therapeutic interactions with uncle Jesse to be taken mm. as accurate yep. for sure. And, and certainly in terms of, you know, people being murdered at this rate and without being caught. God, I hope that that part's not real. Either. Yeah. Yeah. Part of you is just like, you're pushing the number down to, for hope. Yeah, exactly. All right. All right. Um, okay. So I am going to do on, uh, my one to five scale is going to be a one to five Pacos. Uh, I once did Paco. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. because he's the most innocent character in the show. Yes. Uh, which we didn't talk about at all. We didn't but... talk much about Paco. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, okay. So I'm going to have to admit, I am just like everybody else. And there is that part of me that, you know, this is fascinating. Uh, just like serial killers and all that stuff. It just, there's something there. So th there was that fascination watching it for sure. I also love narrated things. <laughs> Anything narrated is really good to me. Um, sure. However, overall, episodes one through ten, I'm looking at a three. I th okay. I thought uh, it was a little. You were you know, into it, but it was it was a lot. Yeah, yeah, especially towards like, well, I don't know. Like, there's the whole peach thing happening. If you haven't seen it, there's a there's a best friend part of the story. I don't know if it's a side story or what's going on. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's uh, it's it's good enough to to watch if you're fascinated by something. But it wasn't great, and it would only be worth one time. Okay, okay. All right, everyone. We do have to get out of here for the day, but uh, make sure you stick around for Ryan's closing thoughts. But first, we need to thank Kevin McLeod for all the music that we use on our show. If uh, you would like to find Kevin and his royalty-free music, you can find him at incompetech.com. And Ryan, thanks for talking with me every week. Thank you. And now for some closing thoughts on the 2018 Netflix series, You. First of all, as we talked about in the episode, while Joe might have reasons for acting the way that he does, those reasons by no means excuse his stalking, abusive, and ultimately murderous behavior. There are things that we shouldn't do for love, and recognizing these boundaries for both partners is extremely important when trying to establish a healthy relationship. That being said, there are some ways people can protect themselves against people who might be manipulative and dangerous in the way that Joe is. One way is to trust your gut. If you're uncomfortable with how you're being treated, you should be able to raise this feeling or issue in an open way with your partner. If you're scared or nervous about expressing your feelings or needs within your relationship, that should be a serious warning sign that your partner may be making you feel unsafe. I know we had some fun discussing the sensationalized aspect of the show, but domestic violence and dating violence are serious issues and are no laughing matter. So here are some national resources to check out for more information. The National Domestic Violence Hotline is 1-800-799-7233, and additional resources can be found for them at thehotline.org, or T-H-E-H-O-T-L-I-N-E.org. The National Dating Abuse Helpline is 1-866-331-9474, and additional resources for their work can be found at loveisrespect.org. Both organizations are great places to start if you are unsure about needing help in these areas. 
Thank you so much for listening to our show. Thank you, as always, to my co-host and executive producer, Mike Graham. If you like the show, please check out our social media pages. We are everywhere at poppsych 101 We also love hearing from our listeners, so if you want to give feedback or suggest something for us to cover, you can email us at poppsych 101 at gmail.com or join our Facebook group. Poppsych 101 is now on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere podcasts are found. If you'd like to help us share these discussions about mental health, please leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe wherever you listen. For Mike Graham, I'm Ryan Engelstad. Thanks for listening to Pop Psych 101.